Good morning and welcome to this week's Money Talk Extra. I'm Peter Lewis. We're all about personal finance, about investing and about entrepreneurship. The idea is for you to be successful with the money you already have, earn a bit more and of course make some better money decisions. This week we're going to look at what rising interest rates mean for savers, for borrowers and for investors. And Jimmy Lamb is going to look at another life-changing event that can greatly impact your financial situation. The arrival of a child in the family. If you would like to contact me with a question or a suggestion, then do please email moneytalk at rthk.hk or check our Facebook page, which is Money Talk Extra on RTHK Radio 3. And I'll do my best to deal with those on next week's programme. One week ago, the US Federal Reserve raised interest rates for only the third time in a decade. Of course, as we know, the Hong Kong dollar is pegged to the US dollar, so a rise in US interest rates has a direct impact here in Hong Kong. The Hong Kong Monetary Authority raised its base rate for the second time in three months to one and a quarter percent. Policymakers at the US Central Bank have indicated that there will be two more interest rate rises this year and three next year. Norman Chan, the head of the HKMA, has warned that there could be eight or nine interest rate rises between now and the end of 2019. So what does this mean for savers and borrowers in Hong Kong? A couple of days ago, I had a chat with Rick Atkinson, Managing Director at Private Capital. Rick, why is the Federal Reserve raising rates? I think it's just an inevitable process to uh, sort of what I would term normalised rates. They've been at um, historic lows for a number of years now and you know, rates will have to increase and consequently Hong Kong rates will increase. So if you're a borrower in Hong Kong, and there's many ways in which you could be a borrower, you could have a mortgage, you could have credit card debt, you could have a, a form of a, a loan, what will it do to, to your debt here? Well, the interest obviously will increase and... Um, Credit card should be the first thing you pay off. Don't have credit card debt. Um, pay off the personal loans. I don't think the mortgages are going to be quite so horrific because there is still a long way to go from the the highs of the time I've been in Hong Kong, where where interest rates were 10, 11 percent, and you were paying P3, it's plus three, and the 13, 14 percent interest rates. We're a long, long way from there. A long way. We may never see those days again. So even now, even if rates go up another two or three times, there's, compared to where they were, uh, this is still a very low interest rate environment. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, long may it last. But do you think people have overextended themselves? The problem is, of course, when rates are low, people take out a lot of loans, mm. uh, maybe more than they would normally, and therefore a small rise in interest rates can still make quite a big difference to people's ability to pay. Yeah, and I think the banks have done a... I don't know whether a reasonable job is a good way to describe it, but certainly they've tightened lending very, very much over the last four or five years. Um, getting a mortgage now, I remember when I went for my first one, the bank wanted to see half of what my mortgage repayment would be. So if your mortgage is 25, they want to see 50 going to the bank. Now they're taking into consideration school fees, lifestyle, all your debits and uh, you know anything, your monthly expenditure. It's a very, very different... Um, way of assessing the, how the banks lend money today than it was you know, perhaps 10 years ago. And if you have a mortgage and you're worried about rates rising, for now they haven't, but if you are um, worried, what, what can you do? Because there's not a lot of flexibility with mortgages in Hong Kong, is there? We don't have fixed rate mortgages. I don't think there's any flexibility with, with mortgages. The, the bottom line is you, you pay what you have to pay. Um, I'm a great believer in while interest rates have been low, you have been saving money. Uh, because interest rates have been low, that money should have been going somewhere. Now, uh, to my, to, when I was back in the bank in the UK, 
we would put people into a regular savings unit trust to build up money when interest rates were low that they could stop, that money could continue to grow and then they could stop that and channel that into the mortgage repayments when interest rates rose. So it was a form back in those days, it was a form of um, uh, stress testing your mortgage and don't absorb the the money that you were saving by low interest rates, don't absorb that into your monthly expenditure because it's very hard to turn that tap off once it's been turned on. So really, even now, while interest rates are low, um, there's still an opportunity to try and build up some savings for, for the future when maybe rates do start to rise. De- definitely, because uh, when you've got low interest rates, almost by definition you have lower returns from the markets. Um, throughout the ages in the UK... 10, 12, 15% returns in the markets during a year was not, un, not unknown. But you know now it's 7 or 8%. We're in a very different dynamic now. And how long do you think it will take before rates do start to rise here? This, the last two interest rate rises haven't really changed mortgage rates, but that can't go on forever, can it? It can't, but I think if anybody says they know these time horizons, they're, they're probably being a bit disingenuous with the truth because nobody knows. Nobody knows. We don't know when they're going to rise, we don't know by how much they're going to rise, and we don't know how long it's going to take to get back to what we would term normalisation of interest rates. And if you have other forms of debt, maybe credit card debts, maybe you've taken out personal loans, what should you be thinking about doing now? I'd be getting them down as low as I possibly could. I mean, credit cards should be used and repaid back in full each month. And uh, <laughs> don't be paying uh, the interest rates at 20 30%. Credit card debt is really the worst form of debt. You can uh, have, well, isn't probably it? the triads might be charging a bit more than credit cards, but uh, your credit card debt is without doubt the worst. So without really, doubt. pay off the credit get card it, debt first before it, anything else. Get, get it, rid of that. Get it, get it paid off. Yeah, yeah. And you know, you should always have three to six months of living expenses in the bank before you even think about investing. It. You know, at least six months. What we call emergency money. Hmm. That should be sat aside. I know it's easier said than done, but that should be the target that everybody should be looking to achieve. And then this emergency fund is designed so that if you did lose your job, for example, yeah. you've got enough yeah. to survive on whilst you find another job. Yeah, yeah. not particularly because of interest rates rising, but yeah, that's, that's, that's the key. Just if you're out of work suddenly or there's a family or you're off ill or off work, um, yeah, just to keep your time over for three to six months. So really, whatever your salary is, the idea is you should have an emergency fund of, say, six times that salary yeah. and assume that maybe in the worst case scenario, maybe even nine months, you might be able to work for six to nine months. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Is this going to trickle down to savers? Well, it, it will do, yeah, but um, savers uh, have been penalised over the last... There's very, very hard to find yield anywhere. And the experience that I've had in the financial advisory business is people are searching for yield in the wrong places. There's been some terrible investment scenarios unfold the likes of LM in Australia and, and, and many other examples uh, where the, the, the real desperate need for yield is they've certainly had them looking, at, looking into areas where they probably shouldn't be in. And where could you look? I mean, the, the, the interest you receive on bank deposits is so puny you don't even notice it hitting the account. Where could you go? What could you do if you want to try and get maybe a higher rate of return? We're great believers in accessing the markets on a long-term basis in the lowest possible way. MPF is, is not, is, is not a, a bad example. Everybody has to invest in the MPF. There are cheaper versions of 
investing in the markets than through MPF, and most people don't want to tie their money up till they're 60, but a regular savings vehicle, low-cost, non-contractual, for, with a regular amount of money on a month-by-month basis is far better than investing in the bank and hoping for a little bit of yield. We never see a headline about a bread line today And when you see the landlord we can look that guy right in the eye That was Rick Atkinson, who's the boss of Private Capital. One of the biggest lifestyle decisions you can make is starting a family. There will be a cost for the next two decades for each child, maybe even longer. So what are the financial considerations? Jimmy Lam spoke to Susan Fan, Executive Director of the Family Planning Association of Hong Kong, and also with Stephanie, a Money Talk Extra listener, who is planning to have two children with her partner. Morning, Susan. Uh, when it comes to family planning, what things uh, people need to consider? Um, I think we can approach it from several aspects. They need to consider, of course, their physical health. They need to consider whether they're psychologically prepared and they also have to take care of the sort of um, social economic practical aspects of parenthood. And as we've heard from the advertisement, usually they say raising a kid costs one million, so to speak. Um, how much does it cost, actually? Well, this is something that we actually um, do discuss with the clients if they wish to have some advice on, you know, if they were preparing for an unplanned pregnancy to go to term and have that baby. Um, Now, first of all, of course, having the baby is not just a financial consideration. We've mentioned all the other things about their psychological preparation, the families, do they accept it? So just putting that aside, even if we focus on the financial situation, um, many clients or couples, they might be thinking about the immediate sort of what are they going to need to spend to have that baby. But actually, it's a lifelong investment. I mean, talking to financial people, I'm sure you, you know you know more about the term of investment. So it seriously is an investment. You have to put in a lot of um, resources, not just money, but also time, you know, effort. You may have certain things that you need to give up in order to have the baby or give the child the best opportunities in life. Um, so, so it's a li- lifelong commitment. Just in terms of the immediate sort of what are they facing um, financially, well, of course, you have to consider living expenses. If the um, young couple, they are still living with their parents, you know, are they able to sort things out and bring that baby? Do they have um, accommodation and so on and so forth? Um, Some might immediately be thinking then about marriage, getting married before they have the baby, or they can put that off until after they've had the baby. Concerning the pregnancy itself, then, of course, there are the costs of the antenatal care, um, whether they're going for private service or public service, where they're going to have the baby delivered. Is it going to be private, public? Because there is a big difference in terms of the um, fees for those sort of medical care. Um, And then when the baby comes, you know, if there are any complications, uh, if the baby is born prematurely, then the cost of pediatric care, neonatal care in the private sector would be very high. They need to also be prepared for that. Uh, Finally, when the baby comes home, then who's going to take care of the baby? Are they going to be getting outside help? Uh, Nowadays, a lot of uh, families feel that it is necessary to have... um, a ladies with experience with taking care of newborn babies to come and stay with them. Now that also goes into the equation. Uh, the cost of um, nappies, um, milk powder. Now even though we do actually advocate 
breastfeeding, but breastfeeding is not totally free, to, so to speak. The mother's nutrition and everything have to be taken care of. She obviously would perhaps have a longer um, stage of maternity leave or if the employer can provide breastfeeding um, conditions that would be even better and then um, as the baby gets older then all this talk about the early education now government has actually been um, beefing up its subsidy for the sort of um, early education in terms of kindergarten vouchers, coupons and so on. So that is a positive step. But many couples feel that they would need to sort of um, supplement all that with extra tutorials and so on. So it starts to get into a lifelong planning stage. Uh, we don't actually have a dollar figure. I cannot say one million. I cannot say four million. It really depends on the couples, what they feel they want for the baby, what they can afford and so on. But um, it really needs, you know, financial planning uh, on top of this family planning. And right now in front of me, I've got our listener, Stephanie Yu. Can you tell us a bit about your background and your financial situation? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm currently working in the education industry. Um, I'm not a teacher, but I'm working on the operational and administrative work. Um, currently, I'm making around 30,000 Hong Kong dollars per month. Um, I'm not an aggressive investor. Basically, I'm not really <laughs> investing anything, but... Uh, um, most of my my uh, money or saving will be just you know very basic um, in the bank account or investing on some uh, foreign currency um, um, for savings. Okay, and how about your expense? Um, it is very basic one. Like the, I paid for the rent, uh, housing expenses, um, food. Um, transportation and and um, insurance and some entertainment and that's cost me about forty percent of my uh, monthly income. And I assume you have a partner right now and you're thinking of giving birth to a baby. Um, what are your considerations? We are not married yet, um, so next thing will be uh, if we are going to like uh, uh, married to be married. Then it comes to the wedding. How many kids are you thinking of? It will be at least two, like because I think having siblings is very important for for a person to grow. Um, so they have someone to share with their their feelings, their emotions, um, to learn social skills, to to uh, to have someone to play with, and yeah, this is what I preferred. I would say. Uh, uh, it costs around at least uh, like optimistically I, I'm not sure I really do the maths but uh, it will be around $10,000 per month extra to if, we, I'm, if I'm going to have a kid and um, as a woman myself I will have to think if I would like to keep my job after having a baby or if um I'm I'm going to be a full-time mom. At this moment, honestly, I don't think my partner will be able to uh, support the whole family if I'm going to have a baby. Jimmy Lam was talking to Susan Fan, who's the executive director of the Family Planning Association of Hong Kong, and then to Stephanie, one of our listeners who is planning to start a family. I spoke to Chris Zay, who's vice chairman of the Institute of Financial Planners of Hong Kong, to see what advice he could offer her. Chris, you heard Stephanie 
say there that she's not sure whether she should be starting a family. What are the financial considerations she should be taking into account? Well, just a few issues needs to be discussed with uh, Stephanie in detail. For example, you know, um, I'm not so sure whether the uh, kind of stability of the occupation, you, you know, is it good or not, you know, for um, for Stephanie. And second of all, it seems to me that well, um, she did not spend too much, you know, because she only spent forty percent of the monthly salary. Uh, in, in, I would say, including. Ranked, you know, out of uh, the thirty thousand, you know, monthly salary in total, that means your know, rent should be very low. You know, yeah. I would say, including the other expenses, and uh, the other concept that I would like to, um, I would say, clarify with uh, Stephanie would be, um, you know, whether um, she has already developed a saving habit in the past. Because, uh, you know, uh, uh, well, uh, no, I'm not so sure whether, uh, you know, um, uh, Stephanie would uh, be confused with the target saving with the uh, this possible income concept because uh, you know if uh, if she expects to spend 40 percent of the monthly salary the other 60 percent would be put into the bank account you know I, I, you know i would foresee that you know the, the kind of a saving element would be such a big uh, proportion of asset to stephanie nowadays and, w- and what is the difference between saving and disposable income where do they stand in terms of priority and how do you deal with the different issues around them well, um, in, in Hong Kong, the, um, the, the pure saving concept can be uh, inherited from the MPF plan. You know, nowadays, you know, before, you know, before we are receiving our payroll, you know, from the bank account, you know, the, uh, you know, the trustee has already debited the kind of contribution, you know, to the MPF um, account already. So this has gone before you've even spent it. Savings, yes. The idea of savings is that um, this is going to go into whether it be a retirement scheme, a savings scheme, before you even get to your disposable income. Yes, that means target savings should be before any spending items. And uh, so that's why, you know, uh, m- many of the Hong Kong people would uh, be confused with the kind of target saving with uh, the disposable income concept. And um, so, you know, after clarifying these kind of, uh, you know, uh, issues with uh, Stephanie, I will try to set the short-term and mid-term goals for Stephanie. You know, um, based on uh, her description, you know, she's preparing for uh, the family. And then suppose, you know, financially, you know, she would like to have a reserve for wedding. And uh, she would like to have the reserve for giving birth, you know, uh, you know, particularly, you know, she would like to have two kids, you know, and, and also there's one very important concept, you know, um, that uh, she would like to put into one of her uh, short-term goals would be kind of um, budgeting for the family because she gets to plan for herself, you know, you know, but actually if you have your, your if you have your own family, you know, uh, you need to, you know, uh, to be very clear, you know, what kinds of expenses will be kind of your individual expenses, what kind of, what kind of expenses will be kind of family expenses. So, you know, even though, for example, if uh, before, you know, uh, marriage, if um, uh, Stephanie's husband would have also rented the other houses, you know, uh, Stephanie also rented the other houses, you know, at the end, you know, two become one, you know, I would say two houses become one. Suppose they should have some saving, you know, from um, only renting one houses, right? So budgeting is very, very important here when you have a big lifestyle change like this and also presumably planning for the unexpected as well, having a certain amount of month's salary in reserve in an emergency fund so that if for some reason you didn't have a job, you could still continue paying all the bills. Yeah, particularly for those individuals or or families, you know, uh, if they totally rely on the 
I'll say active income, you know, uh, as a kind of a, uh, only resources for the family. For example, if all the income are from the occupation or from working, you know, that, that means you need to set aside at least some emergency funds once you have, uh, you know, uh, sickness or, you know, have uh, suffer some, um, you know, some em- emergency. So I'll say, uh, you know, as what you have mentioned before, you know, em- emergency cash, I would say uh, buffer will be very important for the kind of newly um, formed family. And um, the other short-term goal, uh, Stephanie should be looking into because, you know, once you form your family and once uh, uh, she may not give up uh, his uh, job, you know, in the short run, you know, that means you need to have a kind of a, at least one carer or one babysitter, I would say, to take care about, you know, her kid. Because uh, she has mentioned that, well, um, uh, her uh, husband, uh, I would say, uh, you know, may not be... Um, um, I'll say may not be uh, affording to, I'll say to pay for all the family expenses so that's why you know both um, Stephanie and also her uh, husband will still be a kind of a working parents so you know at least you know they, they should have some arrangement for babysitter you know uh, or some carer you know for for the, uh, for the kid and she's budgeting 10000 a month for two children. It sounds quite a low amount to me, but in, in particular, what sort of things should she be budgeting for that are going to occur as a matter of course once she has a family? I think uh, during, uh, during the very early stage, you know, for, for example, like uh, preschooling, like, uh, you know, even before pre-nursery, I'll say 10000 maybe, I'll say uh, enough, you know, just pay for the kind of uh, typical expenses, you know, for babies, just for caring, just for the kind of daily stuff. You know, but, but, but actually, uh, you, know, uh, you know, being a typical Hong Kong parents, you know, they may spend a lot of money on uh, developing their children, you know, not only, not only, not only to sc- typical uh, nursery or, or typical nursery school, but also uh, you, I to, to also join a lot of interest group and also play group, I would say, before schooling. activities all cost money, don't they? Yeah, I would say it would cost a lot of money. And then, um, so that's why, you know, uh, uh, well, when we include those kind of so-called development costs uh, into account, I'm quite sure 10,000 may not be a kind of a feasible number, I would say, for Stephanie to achieve all the goals. Any final piece of advice for Stephanie? Um, uh, yes, I would say, uh, you know, um, um, you know, before, you know, they are planning for uh, the family, actually, uh, well, uh, they should get used to have a very good habit of uh, doing budgeting, you know, I would say for their own and also for the family, because uh, even though you cannot do a very good budgeting for your own, uh, I, I, that would be very difficult for me to foresee, you know, uh, you know um, those, um, uh, those new couples, I would say, would practice a very good budgeting after, I would say, marriage. And, 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 and even though because, you know, uh, there are lots of uncertainties, you know, across our lives. And so that's why, you know, we should uh, budget uh, in a lot of so-called uncertainties, emergency cash, and also um, insurance to protect against sickness, even uh, a premature death. I would say, you know, because uh, we 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 know that being parents, you know, we will have more and more uh, responsibilities, not only to our own, but also to our couple, but also to our children. That's Chris Say, Vice Chairman of the Institute of Financial Planners of Hong Kong, with some sensible advice if you're thinking of starting a family. This is Money Talk Extra. Each week at this time, we'll look at a topic related to the world of investments with an expert in that field. With interest rates rising, stock and currencies have become more volatile. Yuan borrowing costs have also risen on the mainland, and there are many RMB-denominated investment products here in Hong Kong. I paid a visit to Kenny Wen, wealth management strategist at Sun Hung Kai Financial. 
Firstly, I would like to talk about our house bill on the interest rate. We believe that the Federal Reserve will raise interest rate two more times this year, in June and December this year. In this moment, nothing changed because Hong Kong do not follow U.S. the raise interest rate for the deposit rate as well as the prior lending rate. And what about stock markets? Traditionally, people tend to think stock markets go down if interest rates start rising, although it's not always quite as straightforward yes. as that. Yes. But if we have not just interest rate rises this year, but also next year as well, and Norman Chan was saying maybe eight or nine interest rate rises before the end of 2019, what does that mean for the equity markets? It is a really complicated issue, but maybe I can use different angle to illustrate my point. Uh, according to some historical figures, whether uh, the stock market, how the stock market perform, it depends on the rationale of interest rate hike. For example, if the Federal Reserve weight interest rate is because of economic outlook is good, then usually uh, that is good for the stock markets. But on the other hand, it's because if it weighs interest rate because of the inflation, just like in 1990s, we have the oil crisis. The economic outlook is not very good, but given the inflation was uh, rise significantly, it forced the Federal Reserve to raise interest rate. In this, uh, uh, this, this uh, situation, then will be very negative for the stock markets. And the central bank, the PBOC in China, is also raising interest rates. It's raised short-term interest rates. Does that make Hong Kong stocks more attractive in comparison to Chinese, mainland Chinese shares? Yes, that's another point which uh, we are positive on the Hong Kong stock markets. Firstly, uh, as people do believe that the RMB may have further depreciation uh, capacity, then there will be, we believe there will be some fun fall from mainland uh, to Hong Kong stock market. So with a further liquidity driven, there should be a positive factor for the Hong Kong stock market. But what do you see as the risks? You mentioned inflation. Is that one of them? If inflation starts picking up in China, in the US, that could be a big risk for stock markets? Yes, exactly. Because if the inflation pick up, then it may force the Federal Reserve to raise interest rate more than our forecast. Say this year, maybe four times. Next year, maybe five times. Then firstly, the Currently, the asset price do not reflect those changes in interest rate. And on the other hand, given the significant change in interest rate, then will increase the burden of the uh, listed company. They will have a higher interest expenses. Then will be negative for the corporate earnings. So sentiment and fundamentally, if the interest rate rise too fast, too high, will be some volatility to the market, including Hong Kong. And, and the other point is the, the RMB depreciation. Don't forget that the more than 40% market cap is China stocks. So their revenue and their asset is related to uh, RMB. So given RMB, if they depreciated uh, too heavily, that should not be a good thing for the Hong Kong stock markets. That's Kenny Wen, who's Wealth Management Strategist at Sun Hung Kai Financial, with some great advice for investment in an era of rising interest rates. That's it for Money Talk Extra this week. Jimmy Lamb and I will be back next Saturday morning, where we'll discuss the gig economy. You take part in it every time you use an app to book a car ride or order food. And we'll help a freelance worker plan his finances. In our investment segment, we'll look at exchange-traded funds. In the meantime, this is Peter Lewis wishing you a great weekend. Money Talk.